For the News and Observer, I'm Danielle Battaglia here with Brian Murphy. Welcome to this week's episode of Under the Dome. Today, we're going to talk about um, what's going on actually with congressional races because we're not expecting a whole lot to happen the week of Thanksgiving in North Carolina. Well, in the, ca- or in the capital of North Carolina. So uh, I've got Brian Murphy here with me. He was our DC correspondent, now the editor of the NC Insider, and probably has a lot more knowledge of what's going on both in both places than I do at this point. So Brian, what should we know? Well, well, that's not true. And uh, congrats <laughs> on your new job up there in DC. Thank I mean, you. I think the big thing obviously is the budget passed. And, and now um, lawmakers here in North Carolina have cleared out um, uh, for this entire week, they'll celebrate Christmas. I mean, Thanksgiving with their families, and and I think we're all thankful for that. That uh, the budget process is behind us. Uh, what's not behind us, obviously, is is filing and and the filing deadline and these maps and lawsuits. And so, I would expect much of our attention this week to be on on who's filing and uh, the status of these lawsuits. And we may, with the retirement of of GK Butterfield, um, you know, we have another open district in North Carolina. It's pretty amazing how many open districts there are among the 14 congressional races and and what that's going to mean for, for primaries that are coming up in March. Yeah, no, for sure. I know um, I've been writing about this all day and looking at the districts and we've lost some incumbents. We have retirements going on. We have flippable seats. Um, what do you think we need to be paying attention to? What districts stand out to you? Yeah, I, I think, you know, right off the bat, what the, I think the largest story is what's going to happen to the Democratic delegation. I, mm-hmm. I think we all think it's probably going to shrink. Um, but you have David Price and G.K. Butterfield, two long serving members of Congress who have decided not to run for reelection. Uh, you have Kathy Manning, who hasn't made an official decision, but has likely just been drawn out of a district. I mean, she doesn't really have a place to run where she would have a, a legitimate or very good chance of, of winning. Um so, so that leaves, you know, only only two Democrats, Deborah Ross and Alma Adams, uh, you know, sort of, I don't want to say guaranteed, but likely to return to Congress. And then you have that open seat in the sixth district, which is uh, Chapel Hill uh, or Orange County, Durham County and, and part of Wake County. That's David Price's old district. And, and you've already seen a flood of Democrats running in that district. Um, so I think that's one of the, the, you know, especially if you're looking at the triangle, one of the more interesting races is what's going to happen in the Democratic primary in um, in District 6, what is now District yeah. 6, that Chapel Hill, uh, that, that Orange County, Durham, Wake County district. Um, a couple of people got in last week. Um, Valerie Fushi, who's a, a sitting lawmaker, Richard Watkins, who had been in the Senate race. Um, that may be a theme. We may see people leaving the Senate race to, to jump into these House races. Um, yeah. We can certainly talk about that. Uh, uh, Nita Alam is running. Um, she's from Durham. I think that that's a Wiley Nickel, a state yeah. a state senator, is running. I mean, that's just a a really really interesting Democratic primary. So that, that's you know, I think I guess I would start there um, yeah. as as one race to really really watch because that's probably likely to be decided in March uh, in the primary. What's interesting to me with that one is I covered the 6th District when I worked in Guilford and Rockingham, and it's not in the same place anymore. So I have to wrap my mind around that's not the Rockingham, Guilford, Alamance area anymore. It's changed over to what it is now. So um, Yeah, and I wonder how many how many like average everyday North Carolinians are going to be confused that the districts don't really match up with 
their previous numbers. Uh, and, and yeah. So and and unfortunately, some of them are just close enough to be confusing. Uh, they, That's I feel it. like they should have flipped the entire state and started numbering in the west and ended in the east. Um, yeah. That way, the districts would be completely different. Um, but now they're just close enough to be a little bit confusing. I did notice, and I will say this to people listening who don't follow politics as closely, is the um, North Carolina Board of Elections has on their website to check before you go to vote, which the primary is March 8th, so you have time. But what district you're in, because many of the districts have changed, and um, you can look up your voter registration and get all that information from them. But they definitely have that highlighted right now. <laughs> and so, so you spent most of the week covering, or most of last week covering, uh, G.K. Butterfield's retirement, or much of yes. the week. And you know that's going to be a really interesting race. That that district is now a toss-up, at least if you mm-hmm. if you believe all of the. Um, you know, partisan or, or all of the people who do this kind of projecting, um, everyone considers it a toss up. And obviously 2022 looks like it's going to be a very good Republican year. So that would probably make it a lean Republican seat, at least. Um, Sandy Smith, who lost by about nine points um, last, yeah. uh, last election to GK Butterfield, even though she's pretty unknown, um, is running again. She is running on a, a, a straight Trump ticket. I mean, a, a straight Trump agenda. She wants to audit elections, um, throughout throughout the uh, throughout North Carolina, she uh, despite the fact that Republicans won basically every important race in the state outside of governor and attorney general, mm-hmm. um, she wants to au- still wants to audit the elections in North Carolina. Still thinks there were some nefarious actions taking place, um, and is running very much on on a Trump agenda. Um, but without GK Butterfield, I, I think we're going to see um, Don Davis, the, the state senator, told me yep. that. Without telling me he's running, he basically <laughs> told me he's running. Uh, I think his statement that came out after that said, "In due time, you'll know." Um, so I, I believe he's going to get in the race probably sooner than later. And um, yeah, th- there may I'm, be others. I'm fully expecting to see Erica Smith switch over to that district from a Senate run. She's uh, polling number three right now, and I wouldn't be surprised to see her switch in the next week. Um, and she and she's a former state lawmaker who represented a lot of that area. Yeah. So she yeah. may have she have, may have way more name recognition in that district than she does statewide. Well, and speaking earlier with uh, I spoke with Congressman Butterfield this morning um, about that field, and he told me he wouldn't tell me who he wants for um, he didn't endorse anyone basically, but he was telling me what he wants to see is a black candidate who's a Democrat get the win. Um, he feels like that that particular district has been very much both partisan and racially gerrymandered, and he's not happy about it. He said it's the worst he's ever seen in our state's history, and or at least in his time in Congress in our state's history. And he just said he's done. He's done dealing with it. And um, but he does want somebody to take the take the reins there, who um, is black and Democrat. So it'd be interesting between the two of them to see who he throws his name behind. When I was talking to him this morning, he said a lot of names are coming in that are friends of his. So he's waiting to see who he's going to endorse later. Yeah. He, he could be sort of a kingmaker in that, in the democratic primary there. Um, the, the, I mean, I think the maps are the big, are the big issue. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you, not only because of, um, you know, what they sort of set up, but also because of the litigation. And we, and we don't know. Yeah. I've talked to a lot of people over at the state house and, and other places who are sort of confused as to why all these decisions are being made. Um, because yes. 
there's a chance that the maps could get tossed out and then all of a sudden you know people are, are changing their mind once again i think um an interesting issue for like butterfield is if republicans do take over the the house of representatives and and most you know prog- projections indicate they will you know if you're a democrat then you go back to the minority in a body mm-hmm. that i think we saw last week with passage of uh, of the build back better act is really controlled by um leadership and and rank and file members just don't have a lot of sway and and i think you saw with kevin mccarthy's long speech the the, the that was a acrim- long speech the acrimony and the distrust and the and the anger up in that place and well and that's Butterfield said that to me this morning. He said, I'm not like, even if the maps get overturned by the courts, he's not coming back. And he said, part of the reason is just the vitriol that's in the Capitol. Now he's tired of it. He doesn't want to deal with it anymore. And he's never seen it to this extent. And that's one thing that's frustrating him right now is where we are as a country. And and I talked to David Price uh, on the same podcast um, a couple of weeks ago. And he said the same thing that that there's just the, the, it's a workplace. I, I try to remind people that Congress is actually a workplace, and these are your yeah. coworkers. And if you went to work every day, and your coworkers really hated each other, and and some were sharing videos of you being killed online, and, and you yeah. had this lingering distrust from what happened on January sixth, um, it's it's a really toxic work environment up there at the moment. And I, which is a perfect segue, I think, to um, to what's happening in the western part of the state with with yeah. Representative Cawthorn. Um, he has not been shy about criticizing both Democrats, but increasingly Republicans who he doesn't think are being strong enough Republicans. Um, and yeah. basically said that said as much in deciding to move from the 14th district, which encompasses uh, much of his current 11th district. I'll try not to throw these many numbers at you, but um, over to a much safer Republican district in the 13th, which I think, you know, most people thought t- speaker house speaker, Tim Moore was going to run in. Um, and so that's pushed him more out of out of running, but also now open the fourteenth for for someone else to run, and and we've got at least uh, maybe a dozen candidates already. The latest is is Michelle Woodhouse, um, yeah. who was the the chairwoman of the GOP in that district, and and has now thrown her hat in the ring uh, to run for the Republican nomination in in District fourteen. And she's believed to be the handpicked successor for. Hawthorne, who, let me go back because I know we threw a lot of numbers out. So he's currently representing the 11th district, was put into the 14th district under the new maps, and is now running in the 13th district, which has a stronger Republican leaning, so more likely to win. Um, You spoke with Michelle, and um, I'm going to throw Tim Moore at you to our House Speaker because I know some of the, um, there was rumblings that he was specifically directing some of his comments in his video to step down at uh, Speaker Moore. So talk to me a little bit about both those conversations. Yeah. You know, I uh, spoke to uh, Michelle Woodhouse around the time that Cawthorn was making this decision uh, in we've texted, uh, you know, since then she said, you know, she wants a conservative fighter who says no to the Biden Pelosi agenda. Um, It sounds very Cawthorn esque or, or, Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, I'm, I might be giving Cawthorn too much credit. It sounds a lot like a, a large swath of the Republican Party right now who who wants to fight um, the agenda that that President Joe Biden and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi are trying to enact. Um, interestingly, Cawthorn donated to to Woodhouse earlier this year um, for a okay. different ro- for a different role that she was running for. Um, the 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 more Cawthorn thing I think gets at a larger um, divide in the Republican Party um, between and, and I think Tim Moore would bristle at being called establishment 
um, but he's been the speaker of the house for her for a long time now. And, and Cawthorn's sort of this new harder edged, uh, uh, you know, not willing to, to even, you know, do the niceties of being in public office part. And, you know, uh, Madison Cawthorn said that he was running in the 13th because he thought the district, if he didn't run, would elect a go along to get along establishment type. I asked uh, Speaker Moore about that exact quote, and he said, I don't know what Madison Cawthorn's talking about. The last time I saw him, he said, hey, I hope you run for Congress. Um, others have, have kind of come to um, uh, others have kind of come to Moore's defense, uh, including Dallas Woodhouse, um, saying, hey, he's, he just you know, they just cut corporate tax rate to zero. They just cut personal income tax in North Carolina. They just, um, you know, he, he's trying to uh, fight against Cooper in, in a number of different ways. The, the emergency power stuff, the collusive settlement stuff with, with uh, A.G. Stein. And so, but I do think it, it, there's this cleave between, um, you know, people who've been in power for a long time. I think we're seeing it with, with Mitch McConnell and the way Donald Trump is just relentlessly attacking him. Um, It'll be interesting to see how that if if there are any primaries, Republican primaries that that become this fight between more established. I think we used to call them like pro business Republicans, or um, and and this new. And I don't. I'm not even sure it's a new breed, but this new breed of Republican that's just not not willing to even make those kind of um, uh, compromises. It might not be the right word, but but. Mm -hmm. Sees those pro-business Republicans as as rhinos in, in a lot of ways. I mean, I think we saw this a little bit in the Tom Tillis race um, last year, but he he never really got the challenger that that would make it a point over and over and over again. Um, in part because of COVID, but I, I think we're going to see more Republican versus Republican primaries that divide along those lines. Which is probably a good segue into the seventh district because there's a lot going on over there. Um, namely, rumors are by the time this comes out that. Uh, former Congressman Mark Walker could announce that he's switching from a Senate race to a congressional race. Um, some people expect that to happen this weekend on Saturday when he announces a bus tour. Others say he's locked into the Senate race. And then you have people like John Hardister, who's one of our state representatives, teasing that he could be running. You've got Bo Hines, which has been um, supported by Cawthorn, although so has Mark Walker. Um, and Heinz is a lot like Walker in some ways. He's very young, um, not establishment Republican. Um, what's, what's your take on that field? What's your thoughts? Yeah. So that, that district is super interesting. It stretches from Southern Wake County, uh, which is where I now live, um, all the way to, to Guilford County, which you don't typically associate those two places with one no. another. Uh, I haven't been to Greensboro yet since I moved, moved here, but, um, so it's a it's a kind of a sprawling district, and you wonder where the center of gravity in that district is going to be. Is it going to could it be a Wake County, a Southern Wake County Republican who gains traction? Is it going to be somebody from the Guilford side? Is it going to be somebody in that that vast stretch in between that has a power base? Um, you know, this this by the time this podcast you're hearing this podcast, we, we may have a decision on what Walker has done. Um, I think certainly he would jump to the top if if he's the if he decides to run for that he would become a, a, a candidate you know the top candidate I think in that race. I'll be interested in Bo Hines. He he is young like Cawthorn. Um, he doesn't have much experience like Cawthorn. Different than Cawthorn, you know, Bo Hines uh, uh, played college football at, at mm -hmm. North Carolina State, transferred to Yale where he played some college football, then graduated from Yale, then went to Wake Forest Law School where I believe he just graduated. 
from Wake Forest Law School. So uh, we've heard a lot about Cawthorn and, and the fact that he completed maybe half a semester of college. Yeah. Bo Hines went to Yale, graduated, went to Wake Forest Law School, graduated, um, has a much different educational background th- than Cawthorn. They're both young. They're both very conservative. Um, but they do they are coming at it from slightly different places yeah. uh, in their personal experience. And I was reading in the Yale Daily News last night that uh, Bo Hines apparently, so he ended up transferring and playing two games for the Bulldogs before injuring his shoulder and uh, ended his football career. But the um, the Yale Daily News said that didn't surprise anybody because he has always wanted to be a politician. And so football was kind of a secondary hobby to him having political aspirations. Yeah, he, he was a wide receiver at NC State and had a very good freshman year, then transferred to Yale, which is, a, you know, if you're if you know much about college sports, that's a sort of a strange yeah. way if you're producing at a, at a school like NC State you don't typically transfer to a school like Yale um, for for athletics um, if, if your goal is to go to law school and to be a, a politician then yes yeah, certainly Yale makes a, a lot more sense um, in a lot of ways than, than NC State and so um, I when I found that out about his athletic career it certainly certainly changed the prism a little bit on mm-hmm. what you think you know he has in mind um, the other district, that, you know, you, you spoke about seven and, and it's wide openness. There is no favorite. We don't, we're not even sure who's running completely. Yeah. I think the other district that, that, that reminds me of is four, okay. um, which is centered around Johnston County also goes into Cumberland. So Fayetteville, um, there is no incumbent in that district either. And, um, it does lean Republican, um, but again, I look at the power base. It, is it going to be somebody from Johnston County, which is a super fast growing county right next to Wake County? Or is it going to be somebody from Cumberland and the Fayetteville area that, you know, can, can use that as its power base and, and then go into the rest of the, the rest of the district and, and win a race like that? Um, Pat Timmons Goodson, who would be one of those Fayetteville centered candidates, a Democrat who lost to Richard Hudson last time has opted not to run. Um, so I, I don't know who Ben Clark is a name you've heard a lot. He's a state senator. He's African-American. He's a, another person out of Cumberland County uh, as someone who could run on the Democratic side. There are several candidates jumping in on the Republican side. Uh, none of them necessarily are, are the biggest names uh, that would clear the field or or attract a ton of attention. Um, someone got in yesterday uh, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name at the moment. Um, Kelly Daughtry, who, yes. whose who's, uh, father had been a had been a state senator and a state representative. Um, seems like a name that may stand out. Nat Robertson, who was the mayor of Fayetteville, is someone who probably has some name recognition in, in that part of the state. Uh, so I'm I'm really fascinated by what's going to happen in four, and um, because that's a, a district that also kind of touches touches Wake County, um, yeah. and then also stretches to Fayetteville, and so uh, that's someone who will be concerned about some of the issues that are happening in Wake County, even though it doesn't include Wake County. Um, but they also have to be concerned about what's happening in, in rural parts of Johnston County, rural parts of some of the other district, and also what's happening in Fayetteville. That's a, that's a, um, that's a lot of different issues to be concerned with for, for, a, uh, for a U.S. congressperson. Yeah, four, six, and seven all seem to have their district candidates kind of packed. There's a lot of people running. Um, Brian and I have been keeping an ongoing list of <laughs> who's ready or trying to. We hear every day from somebody that is not on that list yet who filed last winter or spring. But uh, but yeah, so there are a lot of candidates in those ones. Those are definitely ones to keep an eye on. 
Yeah, I mean, two, you know, uh, two with Butterfield leaving is is open. Four yeah. didn't have an incumbent to start with. Six, uh, where Price left, doesn't have an incumbent and is a very safe Democratic seat. So you'll see a lot of Democrats. Seven is kind of wide open. Um, and and now with Cawthorn's decision, fourteen is wide open. That's yeah. you know that that's five of the fourteen seats that you know normally you can tell who the congressperson is going to be. Um, and even if it's an open seat, a lot of times there's a prohibitive favorite, and you know who it's going to be. In a lot of those cases, I I think that seat is kind of really wide open, and and we'll see how you know these candidates only have two or three months here uh, with the holidays, and then you're right into January. Um, and the, the election, the, the primary is March 8th. We're going to learn a lot about these candidates really quickly. Yeah, so quickly. And we should say, too, that the uh, filing dates for the state is December 7th through the 16th or 8th through the 17th. Yeah, I think, it's de- I think it begins December 6th, uh, which is a Monday and runs through the 17th. But yeah, the middle of December, we're going to know exactly who's in. Um, while we're here, we should... You know, we should talk at least for a second about all the other incumbents. You know, yeah. Virginia Fox is running in 11. That's a district that includes Kathy Manning, which she's probably unlikely to run in that district. Um, uh, nine is Alma Adams, uh, uh, Mecklenburg focused district, uh, the, the coastal district. Um, uh, Greg Murphy is running for reelection, David Rouser in southeastern North Carolina. So um, Richard Hudson's running, uh, Patrick McHenry's running again. So, so m- many of the Republicans in particular. Um, and the and the very very urban Democrats um, Ross and Wake County and Adams in in Mecklenburg County are running for re-election, so there'll be a lot of familiar names um, in the delegation, but there will be a lot of change. I think we also need to talk about the maps themselves because they are um, up for lawsuit or up against lawsuits, and the maps are interesting to look at because they have. Let me make sure I get this right. I think eight districts that are leaning Republican or majority Republican three that are Democrat, and then there's three other seats that two lean more Republican, one leans more Democrat, um, which that's Butterfield seat. And it's such a slim margin of people that vote Democrat in that seat that it could easily flip over to Republican. Um, I think in the other two Republican districts, or slightly leaning Republican districts, there would be a rougher chance of getting those seats flipped. But um, they didn't leave I, the Democrats a lot of seats. No, or a path. I, I consider yeah. it a 10 3 1 map. Uh, a lot of the analysis I've seen sort of considers it a 10 3 1 map. Um, I get with that, that, yeah. With that one district being Butterfield's district, a true toss up. Um, you know, in, in a good year, I, I, I just think uh, this is a map that will produce either 11 Republicans or 10 Republicans. Um, mm-hmm. We'll see long term. I, I think I've heard from people who think long term, the 14th district, um, that mountain district. Uh, because it includes uh, several universities, um, and and Asheville could over the decade turn a little more blue. Um, there's some talk that seven, uh, that district we just talked about, stretches from Southern Wake all the way to Guilford, could in in time turn a little more blue. I'm interested to see what four does over time, um, but I think in 2022, even absent a Republican wave, you're looking at at least a 10-3 at least a 10-4 win for Republicans and possibly 11-3. I do think um, the increased urbification, if that's even a word, uh, the urban-rural split in North Carolina is more and more people are moving to the to the urban counties, um, which really, you know, it, it's tough for Democrats uh, because uh, their voters tend to be uh, people who live in urban areas to um, 
that they have really safe seats and then they really struggle in, in a lot of these other districts that stretch out into, into more rural places in the state. Anything coming up in uh, the state legislature we should know? <laughs> they are taking a, a well, I don't know if it's well-deserved, but I think it's well-needed break. Uh, the, now that the budget is signed, uh, Governor Cooper signed it last week. Um, First there'll budget be a, in three years. There'll be some technical <laughs> corrections that need to be made to the budget. Anytime you have a 700-page bill, uh, there'll be mistakes that were made in, in the writing of the budget that need to be fixed. But um you know, these lawmakers have been in Raleigh and I don't need to tell you, but they've been in Raleigh for months. I mean, you know, the session started in January. It's now almost Thanksgiving. It was going to say a year. <laughs> yeah. And they've, they've been here off and on that entire time. I think uh, many, many of them are looking forward to spending time with their families back in their home districts, uh, getting ready to run, whether it's for their current seat, a different seat. I mean, don't forget that all their maps change too. Mm-hmm. So many of them are are looking at possibilities. I think at least four sitting state house members are running for the Senate, um, the, st- the state Senate. So th- there's a lot of shuffling going on below the congressional level too. So um, I think they're happy that their budget, their work in Raleigh is largely done. They can start to focus on, on different things now. So I'd say to our readers, stay tuned to our coverage. Um, there's going to be a lot happening in a very short amount of time between all three, I guess four, types of races (laughs) um and uh yeah i mean that's it that's basically what's going on in congress right now (laughs) yeah yeah. right with the races uh you know you've got your work cut out for you uh whereas the north carolina state legislature is wrapping up and just about finished with their work uh the u.s how the u.s congress is nowhere near done with all the work they have to do yeah i picked Um, a great time they are trying to pass a defense spending bill. They're trying to pass a government funding bill. They're trying to raise the debt limit ceiling. They're trying to pass a giant piece of Biden's uh, uh, agenda, this Build Back Better Act. Uh, the fireworks, are, uh, if there were fireworks, they have certainly moved from Raleigh up to D.C. along with Danielle Battaglia. We definitely saw that last <laughs> night. Um, that probably doesn't help my reputation. And with that, we should probably go back to writing. So uh, for the News and Observer, I am Danielle Battaglia here with Brian Murphy. Thanks for listening. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider. And sign up for her weekly political newsletter at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.